Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So we're at the, um, I think it's the 11th class, 10th or 11th of our 34 class review of jhana. Uh, today's class is on, uh, or from the Paticca Samuppada Sutta, the primary sutta on dependent origination, which is one of the most misunderstood, uh, misapplied, and, and I would say uh, abused teachings of the Buddha. Um, and it's very, very simple, and it's very um, purposeful, and it follows Matt's excellent teaching on the Atanagara Sutta, uh, which presented uh, jhana as the single quality uh, required for awakening or gaining full human maturity. And of course, it's not the only quality, but all the other qualities of re refined mindfulness, etc., etc., um, rest on jhana, right view rests on jhana, right view rests on concentration. Um, and so the Paticca Samuppada Sutta follows that nicely by um, describing in detail how we become distracted as human beings. So um, we shouldn't take any of this personally, but we are utterly responsible for being distracted and for developing um, concentration and this is why you know again this 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 is a consequence of having a human life it happens to everyone this occurs the Buddha was at Savati at Jita's Grove Anatha Pandika's monastery there he addressed those assembled friend I, I, you know that that's in a lot of suttas there he addressed those assembled so why is it there everything is purposeful about the Dhamma because the Buddha and we can only teach those who are here to listen to it, right? And the re again, an important part of that is that this is not salvation. So those that might say, well, this should apply to every single human being because we are all one are wrong in that notion because not every human being will develop this, but those that do will find great benefit as Siddhartha Gautam. And that's the way to, to look at the Dhamma. It's not for everyone. Not everything is for everyone. It's for those that want to pursue this. And it's for those that can recognize the benefit of this and apply it properly. There he addressed those assembled. Friends, I will describe in detail dependent origination. And then he says something important. You think you would do this naturally if a Buddha was sitting in front of you. Listen carefully. And what is dependent origination? He, he starts out right, hitting us right between the eyes. From ignorance as a requisite condition come fabrications. Now I can tell you, because I know, because I'm 2,600 years old, that people 2,600 years ago did not like being told they were ignorant, just as today. But we're talking about a very specific type of ignorance, and remember the context. The Buddha is not declaring that as a consequence of having a human life, you're simply ignorant, and that's as far as you can go. He's describing that we are ignorant of Four Noble Truths. That's the context. From ignorance of Four Noble Truths, as a requisite condition, comes fabrication. So what are fabrications? Because of a lack of understanding of how things actually are, we begin to fabricate a reality. And it's that fabrication that ends up resulting in stress. We simply don't know who we are in relation to the world we're living in. A practical example might be, um, well, practical for me, um, I think everybody has tried to open up a paint can without real good instruction, like a nice one-gallon can of paint. And you probably took a screwdriver and jabbed at it a few times and the top popped open and hopefully it didn't fall over. But you also, in that monkeying around with it, 
you distorted the cover slightly where now it's difficult to put down. And wouldn't you know it that they make a tool for opening paint cans and it works very well for doing that. Sometimes you might be frustrated with using the, the, the screwdriver and a hammer to break holes in the top of the paint can. I've done that. A paint can, sometimes if you use a paint can once or twice and you don't clean the rim properly when you put the top on and you leave it for six months or a year or 10 years and you try to open it, you can't. So you might use a screwdriver. I tried that and I got red paint, right? And I can still remember it, right in the corner of that eye. I created a fabrication about how to do this. What's the best way to do it instead of just getting the, the, the tool? I hope that's useful. A fabrication always leads to stress. From those fabrications, as a requisite condition, comes consciousness. So again, just those two lines, from ignorance as a requisite condition comes fabrication. From fabrications as a requisite condition comes consciousness. Now we're talking about ordinary consciousness, which is what every human being has. And by the way, every human being does not have the quality that might be called universal consciousness or one mind consciousness. That's not simply not how we're built. We don't have the ability to connect with every other mind in, on this world or all other worlds. It's just not part of what we are, so we should stop doing it because it's only painful. But what we can do is understand that this is my mind, and I can do with it whatever I want. So why don't I use reality to develop my mind? Why don't I, I, I use my mind to develop an understanding of four noble truths so that I can live calmly and meaningfully in this world? What is most important, to have a human life or to have a fabricated life? Do I want to live a life that I'm capable of, that brings meaning and purpose, that brings calm, that brings an unfolding of compassion that's not rooted in some type of ideology or salvific um, corruption. Can I be at peace each and every moment of my life and be present for each and every moment of my life? That's what those first two parts of the dependent origination are pointing us to. And if my consciousness is corrupted because of ignorance, um, my Developing that type of life that I just described is hopeless because I'm simply, I simply started off in the wrong direction and unless something comes along to change that direction, the Buddha will describe what happens. From that type of consciousness, a consciousness rooted in ignorance of four noble truths, as a requisite condition, right, that's important too because if I can take away the condition, I can resolve the issue. From that type of consciousness as a requisite condition comes name and form. The Pali word for that is nama rupa. It simply means I am beginning to self-identify with what's occurring. I'm taking it personally. From that type of consciousness rooted in ignorance of four noble truth as a requisite condition comes taking this moment personally. And herein lies the beginning of the problem. There is dukkha. From name and form, from taking things personally as a requisite condition, comes the sixth sense base, the sixth sense base, the five physical senses and the sixth sense of consciousness. Right? There's that, that thing, that, that boogeyman of consciousness, thinking. But it's my thinking. So I'm using. My consciousness is ignorance, ignorant of reality, of the four noble truths. And so I created a corrupted view of myself in relation to the world. And I'm now using my sixth sense base as the interpretive vehicle for that corruption. So does everybody understand that what comes through that sixth sense base, what is informed by that corrupted sixth sense base, must corrupt what's occurring? It might do it in very simple and often un, often undistracting ways, but cumulatively it leads to a waste of life because I'm living in that corrupted view. Now we can understand that, we can accept it, we can 
we can not accept it. We can say that guy's crazy. Or we can hope to understand it. How did this occur? From feeling as a requisite condition now comes craving. So that feeling is informed by what? It's informed by the sixth sense space that is creating a feeling. I want this. I don't want this. I need this. I can have this. When all of those things are part of life, there's things that we need and there's things that will occur to us that we have no control over. It's part of life. It's part of the first noble truth. There is dukkha. As a consequence of having a human life, there will be dukkha. As a consequence of having a human life, there will be disappointment. There will be distraction. There'll be craving after and clinging to. And all of those are aspects of dukkha that we can liberate ourselves from through this simple and direct practice. From feeling as a requisite condition comes craving. From craving as a requisite condition, right? I still have, I have to have that, that craving for or clinging to or aversion for this to occur. As a requisite condition comes clinging and maintaining. So now I've decided what I must have for my for, for me to be happy, not distracted, present, which is impossible. And what I need to avoid, sickness, aging, and death, not getting what I want, getting what I don't want, all of those things, the five clinging aggregates, right, as the Buddha teaches, all of that is now coalesced in this bundle of clinging and maintaining. I've created an, an ideological and fabricated view of myself in relation to the world that because I created it. Now remember, it's rooted in a fabrication to begin with. It's not rooted in reality. But because I created it, I am compelled to own it and I am compelled to defend it to you and everybody else out there. Again, take it all the way back to the first noble truth. That is dukkha. Living in that fabrication and having to defend a fabricated self is dukkha. It's painful. I can tell you it is. And all of you probably at this point would admit that through your Dharma practice. It's painful to maintain a fabrication. So why do it? Why do it? It's because something occurs in that, that process. From clinging and maintaining as a requisite condition comes becoming. Whatever I decide I am and what I must be in this moment, and this is throughout life. This is as a, as a, uh, as a five-year-old as well as as a 68-year-old. From clinging as a, from, from, I'm sorry, from clinging and maintaining as a requisite condition comes becoming. So without the Dhamma, without the limiting factors of the Eightfold Path, I'm just going to continue to become what? Something rooted in ignorance. But the limiting factors of the Eightfold Path have now come into play in my life, thanks to an awakened human being from 2,600 years ago, that I can actually change the direction of my life, that I can actually change how my life works, how my life feels in this moment. I can go from a distracted, fabricated view of life to a view in a reality of life that is actually rooted in that reality of what it means to be a human being, what it means to be John Haspel or Brian Doherty in this moment or anybody else. I'm not excluding anybody. Is that the fork in the road? Becoming? Say that again. Is that the fork in the road becoming? Explain. Listen to this. You didn't know I was going to ask you to explain no, no. it. <laughs> you thought I was going to explain it. it there's a, I don't know if there's a choice, but if you have a practice, becoming Yes, is, if you have a practice, you, have, you a have a choice. Practice. Yep. So without a practice, it's not a fork in the road. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's almost like a propulsion to the, the continuation of samsara. Yes, and so... And that goes right back to the first noble truth. There is dukkha. The Buddha is not being exclusive, except he is. 
without the benefit and the limiting factors of the Eightfold Path, we are compelled to continue in Namarupa, self-identification, personalizing. Now, there are some human beings that seem to have been born without this affliction, if I can call it that. It's just really just normal human life. So one person I often use as, as an example is Jiddu Krishnamurti. And there's, he's, his influence is still felt. There's still schools, and in, in fact, Tom, you might even know of schools in, in, uh, in London that are Krishnamurti schools. He lacked the ability and he lacked an understanding of Four Noble Truths. He would often tell people how they should be. Be calm, be mindful. But he could never tell people how to get there. And as far as I can tell, and I've done a pretty good search for my lifetime, I have yet to come across another human being who understand, understood the human condition in the same way that Siddhartha Gautama did. Other people have different ideas about what to do and how to live in the world. And that's great. This is what Siddhartha Gautama taught. How to have a meaningful human life, how to understand what it means to be a human being. And this is how he describes what happened. And the whole suit actually tells us what to do about it. We're going to do part one today. From becoming as a requisite condition comes birth. So David talked about the fork in the road. What am I going to give birth to in this moment? Is it another moment rooted in, in personalizing everything? Or is it another moment rooted in understanding that I could personalize everything? or I could understand. And so that's the choice that we have each and every moment of our lives. And it's in this moment that the Dhamma resides, right at this point, from becoming as a requisite condition comes birth. What am I going to give birth to in this moment? And that's up to me, right? Now, just to touch on it, we're going to get into it in more detail, but the Buddha never taught rebirth as, a, as another coming, as a future life. The only context that he taught rebirth in was to explain, explain it away that don't be worried about a future birth because it's not what human beings future birth because it's not what human beings do. I can't give I can't give birth to myself in a in the future. I just can't do it. Human beings are incapable of it. It's silly and foolish to go after it. But what I can understand as a human being is that whatever I hold in mind. Right? Mindfulness. We, you know, we're talking about refined mindfulness. Whatever I hold in mind in relation to myself and the world will determine my experience. Does everybody understand that? What I hold in mind in this moment will determine my experience of this moment, correct? I mean, it's, it's kind of common sense. And if what I'm holding in mind in this moment is framed by the limiting factors of the Eightfold Path, I will continue this moment and using this moment to give birth to another moment inclined towards awakening. And if I dismiss or and have no knowledge of the Eightfold Path, in this moment, I'm going to rely on Namarupa, Namarupa, self-identification, and give birth to another moment rooted in that self-identification. And so continue what is rooted in a fabrication. Um, everybody following me? And there, are there any questions? Okay. From that birth, giving birth to another moment rooted in ignorance, from that birth as a requisite condition comes aging, sickness, death, sorrow, pain, distress, pain, pain, distress, and despair. The Buddha doesn't leave us there, but what he's describing is as a consequence of having a human life rooted in ignorance comes all those things that we don't like. And then he describes this. Now, what is aging and death? Very plain. Aging is decrepitude, brokenness, graying, decline, weakening of the faculties. I can tell you that's all true, but it doesn't have to take away from life at all. Death is the passing away of the five clinging aggregates. The ending of time. Think about that. 
This is a declaration that this human being made 2,600 years ago that we all want to ignore. All of humanity has ignored it except us. The ending of time. That's it. We better do it now. If you want to have a human life, now is the time to have it. Not in the future. And, it, and it's, it's just as much of a fabricated belief as saying, okay, I'll be awakened tomorrow, as it is, I'll have, a, I'll have my reward in some type of heaven in the future. That's all rooted in imagination, isn't it? Right? I mean, everybody agrees with me? That, that's in our imagination that that occurs. Reality says what I'm holding in mind in this moment will determine what, I'm, what my next moment, the experience of my next moment. Death is the passing away of the five clinging aggregates, the ending of time, the interruption in the life faculty. That's it. We're done. We get one breath in the beginning, one breath in the, at the end. We get one thought in the beginning, one thought at the end. What's that one thought at the end going to be holding in mind? This is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. Hopefully. And in that refined mindfulness, is a calm and peaceful mind. The calm and peaceful mind. It's what I wanted when I was a confused and frustrated and angry 15-year-old. It's what I wanted when I was a confused and angry and frustrated 26-year-old when I sobered up. It was what I wanted when I was a confused and angry and frustrated I should have marked it down, but maybe a 32-year-old with a lot of practice under my belt, right? I should have been awakened by that point because I did all this great practice with all these great teachers, and yet I was more confused, more angry, more frustrated than I was when I was 15 years old. Why? Was it my fault? Well, it was because I was practicing things that could not bring the result that I wanted, which was understanding what it meant to be me. And really, from that initial perspective that I just talked about, was what's wrong with me? How can I fix me? I need to gain some knowledge or some method that can fix this unease and dis-ease that I have about myself in relation to the world. And that includes looking out in the world and seeing all the things that are wrong and all the things that I have to change. It's all the fabrication. Nothing needs to change because nothing can change. It is what it is. This moment is occurring exactly as it has to be. What is to be is what is here. What is to be is what is here. That doesn't mean, and that doesn't have to color the next moment in my life or even the next moment in human history, but we're not concerned about human history. We're concerned about what am I going to give birth to in this moment? And if it's a moment that I'm giving birth to within myself that is rooted in common understanding, guess what the experience of this moment will be? Now, what is birth? Look at how the, the Buddha describes birth. Birth is the descent, the coming forth. Now, remember, this is in relation to just this sutta. From ignorance of four noble truths come fabrication. Now what is birth? Birth is the descent. Out of that lack of knowing, my misinformed and ignorant sixth sense space, my birth is a descent, isn't it? I didn't understand what was occurring to me. And nobody could tell me because nobody understood it. My parents did the best they could. It's the coming forth, the coming to be of what? Not something miraculous and marvelous, but an ignorant human being. A, a human being that had one need to understand dukkha. The coming to, the coming to be. Birth is the appearance of the sixth sense space and the five clinging aggregates. Of course, a lot of other things appeared, but what does the Buddha point out as the most important? 
the appearance of the sixth sense base. What I use to come in contact with the world, right? That's my interface. So if my interface is rooted in ignorance of four noble truths, what kind of information is it going to be giving you? Something rooted in ignorance, something rooted in understanding. Rob? And it's my thing, I think it's also that which experiences the self. Yes, because of that tightness on this is my experience. The five clinging, five clinging, we're going to get into this in a future class, but the five clinging aggregates, thanks, Mom, are form, feeling, perceptions, mental fabrications, and consciousness. And again, there's that consciousness, right? I can't get away from it. It's mine. It's not something grand and cosmic. It's really the issue. Form, feeling, perceptions, mental fabrications informed by consciousness. So it's up to me how I think about myself in relation to the world. Then the Buddha asked the rhetorical question, now what is becoming? Becoming is sensual becoming. Again, in relation to this this. Uh, fact is ignorance of four noble truths. Sensual becoming. I'm using my senses in an ignorant way. They can't be trusted. Sensual becoming. Form becoming. Giving a name and form to this. This is me. This is mine. This is what I am. This is all of me. And formless becoming, that imaginary becoming. 2,600 years ago, this human being pointed out that that thing that we create in our imagination as an escape is part of the problem, formless becoming. I'm, I, I'm going to, my mother said rosaries every day of her life, honestly, which is a lot. Every day of her life, seeking salvation. And maybe she did. I'm not saying she didn't. But it doesn't make any sense to me. I remember when I want to tell this story. It became apparent to me before anybody else in the family that my mother was probably developing um, some type of form of dementia. And it happened one day. <laughs> I was gonna. I said, "Am I gonna tell the story? Don't don't cry." But. Um, so I used to go visit her every couple of weeks. One day I walked into the house and she's sitting at the table with a checkbook. My mother took care of my father's business and also took care of the home expenses. Um, she was crying. I said, mom, what's the matter? She says, I can't do this anymore. And I said, what do you mean you can't? She couldn't write a check. It wasn't that she didn't even understand how to, the finances behind it. She forgot how to write out a check. So I knew something was wrong at that point. I don't know why I told that. Um, and so I knew I didn't understand this quite as well as I do now. But I knew that my mom, whatever time she had left, to me it became important that she... I wanted her to somehow... God, how do I say this? I wanted her to somehow live in this moment. And a, a few years before that, she had asked me about meditation. She knew that I was a meditator. And I, every now and then I would help meditate with her and, you know, teach her. And now I felt even more kind of compelled to teach her how to meditate and start understanding a little bit. Because I decided that I wanted to give her what I thought she had to have. Which, of course, at that point, she was beyond developing really anything. Um, I don't even know why I told that story. Do you know, Ron? <laughs> um, Sorry, can't help you there. Oh, the, the, to be, so that she could become present in this moment and stop chasing after a formless becoming. I just run, wanted her to have a... Uh, and it was selfish of me to do this, right? I'm not I'm not trying to sound like I'm some great savior for my mom. I, it was selfish. I wanted her to experience life as I was experiencing it before it was over, before she couldn't cognize it anymore. So, again, my um, my compulsion towards salvation was still present here. I guess that's what I'm crying about, too. 
the Buddha continues, and what is clinging and maintaining? This is important, right? This is what continues us into form becoming. I need to be more and more and more, always defending the self, or foremost becoming. I have to save myself in some type of emptiness or nothingness. And what is clinging and maintaining? There are four types of clinging. Clinging to sensory stimulus, clinging to what I fabricated in my high head. Clinging to views, look what's going on in the world today. The world is at war with itself because of people clinging to ideologies, clinging to views that they can't let go of. Clinging to precepts and practices. One of the most common forms of modern Buddhism that I came across, I'm not putting it down, it's just what's there, is mostly precepts and practices, something the Buddha pointed out 2,600 years ago to not go there. And most importantly, clinging to a doctrine of self. And what is craving? There are six, cla six classes of craving. And for some reason, I just saw it for the first time today, craving for sights is not in here. But craving for sights, craving for sound, craving for smells, craving for taste, craving for physical sensations, and craving for ideas. But there's just six, right? Coming through the sixth sense base. This is what distracts me. This is where it starts. And this is where it ends. And what is feeling? Begins here as well. Feeling has six classes as well. Feeling arises from eye contact. That's beautiful. That's ugly. Discriminating thought, right? How I like things, how I want things to be. I like red. I don't like blue. I like tall trees. I don't like short trees. All the way to, I don't like people of a certain skin color or a certain way of acting in the world. But it all begins here. It all begins in ignorance. We're at war with ourselves because we want to stop discriminating views, and yet we're exaggerating discriminating views to make that point. And what does it do? It creates a lot of feeling for people. Feeling has six classes as well. Feeling arising from eye contact, from ear contact, from nose contact, from taste contact, from body contact, and I would say most importantly, from intellect contact. Things that come in contact with my intellect when my mind is rooted in ignorance of four noble truths will create stress and suffering. It will create it for myself, and it will create it for other people. The most loving thing I can do for myself and all other sentient beings is not to take up a sign. Go ahead and do it if you want. But if you really care about other people and the condition of the world, take to the Dhamma and awaken. It's the most loving thing we can do. This is called feeling. And it's just that. Feeling isn't something that is, um, can't think of the word, mysterious or um, needing years of therapy to understand. It's just that. Right? Eye contact, ear contact, nose contact, taste contact, body contact, intellect contact. That's called feeling. And what is that contact? Any phenomena contacting the eye, any phenomena contacting the ear, or the nose, or the tongue, or the body, or the intellect. Just what happens. It's random. It's as a consequence of having a human life, there will be contact with phenomena. Of course there will. In fact, that's what we want. That's what makes our life meaningful and purposeful, is contact with phenomena. Right? I mean, it's, it's everything. This is contact with the sixth sense base. That's the end of part one. Thank you all for listening. Um, okay, I'd like to hear what you all have to say, and I'm going to start with Tracy. Good morning, Tracy. Hi, John. Hi, everyone. Thank you for the teaching. Uh, as, as you were talking, um, 
you know, I, I always have a lot of questions as you're going through it. And then like, as I'm asking the question, and the questions get answered through, you know, I'm like, well, what about this? And then it's like, oh no, <laughs> you know, it, and it's an interesting experience to, like you said, like the grasping after intellect or becoming or trying to fix something or um, change my condition to, you know, get something better than what is. An example of that would be during meditation today. One of the things I've been grasping after <laughs> is um, like wanting to live in a different place that's quieter and less busy and um there's a lot of noise in my world right now um like right now there's construction across the street from my house there's cars going by and trucks and my dog's been barking for the last 45 minutes and uh normally I would get real frustrated because it was disrupting my sixth sense base mm -hmm. And today in meditation, I just decided to open the window and like let the dog bark and just <laughs> listen and do and just watch myself kind of get aggravated and then focus back on the breath and just kind of try to per not personalize what's happening. And then the teaching kind of spoke to all of that effort uh, just now. So it's a small example of what I think, you know, you're talking about or the Buddha was and also the Buddha was talking about in how that causes so much suffering when we let it, you know, because it's that noise is just happening. It has nothing to do with me. Yeah. And then that desire for this quiet peaceful house that I, you know, we've been looking for houses and it's in the back of my mind, like, oh, once I get that, all this will be better, but there's going to be something else that bugs me, you know? Um, or not. What's you know, that? Or not. I mean, as you continue to develop the Dhamma, as, as you are right now, you've made peace with the noise. So that's, a, that's huge. It's, I mean, you're right to say it or classify it as a little thing, and excuse me for interrupting you, and it's a little thing and it's a huge thing. It's, it's you practicing the Dhamma in that moment. And yeah. That, that, that's, that's how we do it. That's, that's, how, that's how you awaken, gain full human maturity. So yeah. I interrupted you, I hope I didn't, I didn't lose, you didn't, I didn't make you lose track of what you were gonna say. No, no, it's just, it's just interesting and like, <laughs> Even it, it got so loud at one point, I couldn't even hear what you were saying. And I was like, oh, I, I need to hear what John is saying. Like, I was like, and I'm like, wait, no, for whatever reason, this is what's happening. Like, just let, and then it quieted down and then I heard you. And so I was, that's really it. I'm just ex expressing the teaching in action in my little room here in my little part of the world. Yeah. That, that, that's stomach practice. When, uh, when you said that um, you couldn't hear me for a while, Mom said that under his breath. That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Shut the old man up for a while. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you so good much. Morning, Thank you. Hello, Mary. Well, part two is, is uh, what's today? Part two is Tuesday. So we'll finish this. Hello, Mary. Hi, John. I was thinking about what David said with the fork in the road and what Tracy was saying that, um, but it's in those little moments where we can go left or right, you know, whether yeah. it's in the road or I've often said over the years, like you're getting off an elevator and you can go left or right. And that will determine, you know, what happens for the day. So it really is in all those little moments of every day and all the little moments of stillness that you experience the Dhamma, the moments of quiet, you know, maybe in a meeting where there used to always be noise and you felt you always needed to be talking and you find yourself getting more quiet and still in those same experiences or it could be an experience with your children or whoever. It's in those moments of stillness that 
we observe, you know, hapasika, we observe it, ourselves or our being, our uh, practice um, in action. Um, so it really does come down to all those little moments to determining becoming what? Becoming awakened or becoming ignorant. So thank you, John. Thank you. Yeah, again, that points back to just Dhamma is right here in this moment. Yeah. You only practice the Dhamma here, right here, right now. There's no Dhamma yesterday. There's no Dhamma tomorrow. It lives in the moment. Thank you, Mary. Anthony, good morning. Oh, good morning. Um, I think uh, today I'm just going to exercise noble silence, but thank you for the wonderful talk. I'm glad you're here. How are you feeling? You're over COVID? Yeah, I mean, sometimes a little bit in the chest, but, you know, almost 95% good. Thanks for asking. Uh, good, 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 good. I'm glad you're okay. Please say hi to Deborah. I will. Thank you. Good morning, Cody. Morning. Mm. A uh, lot to consider there. Um, <clears throat> I think I'm still just reconciling so much. Um, with this new practice, my my mind is chattering away at me during mm. practice, and um, just absorbing the uh, the concepts and trying to follow along this <clears throat> enough. Without, I don't I don't know that I have any insights, but I I appreciate the uh, food for thought. Yeah, wow. We're not thought. <laughs> well, that that sounds like pretty pretty good Dhamma practice to me too. Just sitting back and let it let the Dhamma come to you, and if you if you continue to to come to class, you're going to understand it, and you'll be able to apply it as well. Mm -hmm. Glad you're here this morning. Good morning, Tom. Morning, John. Um, yeah, thanks for the teaching. Um, I, what Tracy said definitely resonates with me, um, that, that feeling of if only, right? If only, I mean, for me, it's not so much living situation, more work related, right? If only I didn't have this busy job, you know, I run my own business and it's, there's lots of things happening all the time. Um, but there will be, you know, as a consequence of having a human life, even if, that were to be resolved in some way or to quiet down there, there's often something else right so it, it always does come back to um applying your practice as best you can in every moment uh, and i need to constantly remind myself of that that i'm not thinking okay i'll 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 be able to uh become awakened at some point in the future once x or y happens um and then also yeah <laughs> sorry john that's not going to happen. No, exactly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and the fork in the road analogy is is interesting because, you know, we are, the very fact that we're here suggests that, that we are some of those people that have, you know, the little, um, how does he say it, the, those few specks of dust in their eyes, right? So we're, we're quite... Um, privileged in some ways to have been made aware of this fork in the road um, and yeah. know that there is that choice in every moment to go, yeah, to go left or right or to, you know, to, to, to apply um, right action, right effort, whatever it might be or, or, or not. Um, and it's, it's, it's just a constant reminder, you know, to not, at least for me, what really, um, sort of struck home was just that reminder to not waste, not waste this opportunity, not waste this human life I have. Um, I'm I'm yeah. lucky to be presented in every moment with that fork in the road, and I I still um, on a on a regular basis take the wrong turning, um, but I'm you know I'm not sort of. I, I don't beat myself up about that nowadays. I just always come back to this, you know, reminding myself to take the right turning um, next time. So 
or, or not not just next time, but now, right? I guess that's what it comes down to. It's not even saying, okay, next time that thing happens, it's saying, no, okay, what is the right thing to do now? What is the fork? Whatever decisions you've made that have led you to this point, what is that fork in the road right now? And what can you do to to sort of live according to according to the Dharma? So anyway, just just a reminder for me to to continue to prioritize that in my life and to to find more and more ways to to remind myself. Um, and that obviously begins with reading uh, these teachings, with reflecting on them, and of course spending time. Um, in meditation. So, uh, thank you. Thanks, John. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Yeah, you're, each moment holds the potential to incline my mind towards further ignorance or incline my mind towards awakening. And that's it. That's the only choice we ever have in this present moment. Awakening or, or ignorance. Thanks, Tom. Hello, Brian. Good to see you this Hi. morning. Hi, John. Good to see you. Thanks for the teaching. It's that that fork in the road isn't discernible <laughs> without concentration. Ah, that's right. The, the whole point of the structured just study. Keep, just keep forking. Please let me say this. <laughs> You'll just keep forking it up. <laughs> Stop forking Sorry, around. Yeah. <laughs> you need a drum roll. <laughs> A whole bunch of fork puns today. It'll be great. Uh, <laughs> I got nothing. Um, what was I talking about? Oh, jhana, concentration. Um, and then, you know, some of the, the same mechanics in here, the craving, like using craving in a skillful manner versus an unskillful manner, right? To, to get to awakening, right? Like using the same mechanics for awakening oh, yeah. that are you know, that are sweeping you away with ignorance, right? And so, and again, with that yeah. concentration, you are afforded that choice in the moment of which way do you want to go. Yeah, and that, that's such a good point. This, this human body who was rooted in ignorance, who struggled for X amount of years, you know, might have gotten to this kind of mess and that kind of mess and had terrible relations, all kinds of things that happened. It's that human being that awakens, that same very same human being. Right? We don't... We don't um, we don't get a great washing and then we're clean enough to awaken. We awaken with who and what we are in this present moment, period. Siddhartha Gautama was afflicted with a lot of things that might have held him back from awakening. But he persevered and he discovered this path that any human being can walk. So, again, Brian, I think I interrupted you twice. You're no, you're, good? you're forking you're not, good, man. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Hello, Ron. Hello, John. Uh, I forgot to put there's Cody, by the way, just for the writer of mine. Sorry, Cody. You didn't get on camera this morning. Oh, Thank you. <laughs> um, I think yeah, sometimes I get a little intimidated by the, the amount of detail that the Buddha is teaching in this. Um, and then I realized that that he does that for for a reason and this is not to be memorized if you right. wanted it to be, be memorized he would have repeated this a thousand times the only thing he repeated a thousand times was there are roots of trees there are go find the roots of trees or empty huts empty huts go do john that's the one thing, because that jhana will indeed lead to the understanding in the moment of, ah, where am I at? Where, where's, where's that this fork now in yep. independent origination? You know, what's this moment? Uh, where, where can I use this moment? If you do that to that one thing that like Matt said last week, mm -hmm. the, the single quality necessary, the single jhana. I can get lost in, in, in wanting to know all the details of this. I wanted to understand, and I have this, yeah, I want to have this grand understanding of all these things, how they all fit together, and I just can't. Um, I'm sorry, I'm calling you out. I would uh, say you have a grand understanding. Yes. <laughs> uh, it, it, there's, a, there's a growing understanding. Um, That's grand. But... 
you need to have the whole thing. I just need to have... How can there be a whole thing if everything is in front of you? Correct. <laughs> and it's, it's moving all the time. Okay. I'm changing all the time. So uh, as long as when, when something happens, I can apply this you know, with, with enough concentration uh, and, and ma again, make that choice in, in the moment. Uh, yeah. Where am I going? Which, which direction is, is this this being moving? Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, thank you. That's a good point. So, I, I, as we integrate the eightfold path as a limiting factor for our life, and we move through our days moment by moment, we'll notice moments of calm, and we'll notice moments when we're not calm, and we know how to practice the dhamma in both of those moments. This moment of, of grand calm, you know, is nothing special either. All right? We're simply being human beings. Siddhartha Gautama was the was the the essence of an ordinary human being. But look what he did. Look what he did. Here's David. Hey John. I mean Mr. Fork. I like the passage upon death, the ending of the five clinging aggregates. And it's ending, but I imagine it being like the emptying of a balloon. So it's like this flutter of air that this thing that you've created is done. Yeah. And it's probably not. It probably sounds really bad. It's like this, like deflation. This oh yeah, nobody wants it. But it's gone. A little fart sound. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's a yeah. it, it, it's done. and it's this thing that you created is what it was. Nothing. Yeah. It's a fabrication. Yeah. And this practice gives you an opportunity to end this clinging to this these five aggregates. It's just what you are. This reference point. Yeah. That's all. Just That's a all. reference point. To That's all. And suffering is fighting clinging aggregates. So this yeah. practice is letting you be able to put down this clinging. And that's the ending of suffering. Yeah. So to me, why would you want that end just to be this like involuntary part sound? Versus this thing that at this point in a road that you can decide, I'm going to develop this practice yeah. and understand these aggregates are just aggregates. Yeah. They're not to be clung to, they're not to be fabricated. And that's the opportunity. You know, that fork is an opportunity. I'm going to develop yeah. this jhana. So therefore, my life is formed by understanding, not ignorance. Yeah. And then this... 12-step process simply is leads to understanding and that aggregate is just seen as these five things that make up your life. Yeah. So I think in terms of broad strokes, because I memorize this, it's it's 12 things, memorize it. But it's, the, it's the broad stroke of just understanding this is what happens when you when your life is formed by ignorance versus understanding. Yeah, that's it. It's, that's it. It's just that way. Um, and in the end, it's gone. And it, it's a good thing to understand that. Mm -hmm. Michael Smith used to, Michael, yeah, Michael Smith, right? Used to call it discorporation. I don't know why that's rattling around in my head. But it's, we discord, we, we're, there's nothing left, right? That's what that means. That's from Stranger in a Strange Land, by the way. Grab the camera. The great, oh, the greatest science fiction book ever written. Um, so we're going to continue this on Tuesday's class, uh, finish dependent origination, but, but this is, there, there's a lot of detail as Ron, uh, said, but it just describes how we became so full of stress and how we came to a point where we don't really understand what it means to be a human being and how to 
um, I almost said regain that knowledge, but how to gain that knowledge. So knowing what we are in this moment and that there's nothing personal to this moment, right? This moment ends in this moment. When I die, my life is over. My life has ended. Whatever impact I've had might last for a couple of weeks, but you know, whatever that is, is really has nothing to do with me, does it? And, you know, we talk about universal consciousness and universal mind, or we don't often, but, you know, the way to understand that is that most scientists that understand, um, what is it, what the physics is, astrophysics, I guess it would be, understand that the universe at some point is going to blink out. It's done. This universe, that we look, all of it, you know, all the different planets, at some point, as grand, as magnificent as our universe is, it's like turning off a light switch. So why do we have, have such a hard time as understanding we're simply part of that system, right? The four noble truths are part of everything. There is dukkha. We live on a human plane. We don't live in an, in an amorphous plane where we can fly around without our bodies or... Um, interject ourselves in situations where we're not there physically it simply can't be done we should stop fantasizing about it and we will but that's not a loss that's not a negative thing it points to what is most important about having a human life having it experiencing it being a calm reference point to what's occurring in each and every moment <clears throat> That's today's class. Um, but I, I always want to add, is there any other questions? I don't want to leave anybody confused. And you always understand you can send me an email or give me a call if you're fortunate enough to have my phone number. Um, but hey, don't ever leave yourself confused about anything. You know, we got a lot of teachers. You can always contact me and, and I'll do my best to give you an answer. All right. Um, we'll finish with Meta as we always do. So the Karaniya Metta Sutta is the Buddha's description uh, of what it means to be an awakened human being. And this is um, my restoration and adaptation from something that the Amaravati Monastery, which is still, um, it's in a major, a major modern, modern Buddhist monastery in London, uh, first restored. And I uh, did my own adaptation and restoration, the Buddha's words. This is what is done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. They are able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited. They are contented and easily satisfied. They remain unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. They are peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. They do not do the slightest thing that the wise would later prove. They are always mindful that all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. They are always mindful to not deceive another or despise any being in any state. They abandon anger and ill will with ease, never wishing harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart, the wise disciple cherishes all living beings. They radiate kindness over the entire world spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, they maintain refined mindfulness. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, 
being free from all sense desires, they abandon ignorance of four noble truths. Having completed the path, they are not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class today. Thanks. Thanks, John. Bye, everyone. Thank you, John. Bye, everyone. Have a nice weekend. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.